What did Jesus say? He said, be careful not to display your righteousness. Everyone say, display my righteousness. Merely to be seen by people. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So apparently there are ways in which God has called us to display the righteousness that he has put within us. And when we display that righteousness, what's he going to do? It's right up there. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's not up there. I just spoke it. Thank you. He says, don't just display your righteousness so that people will see you because I want to reward your display of that righteousness. And if you do it simply to be seen of people, I'm not able to reward you, right? So Matthew 6, 1. And then the next several verses, about eight verses, Jesus lists three displays of righteousness that God rewards. They are praying, giving, and fasting. Every Christian is expected to display God's righteousness through praying, giving, and fasting. These are three disciplines that are not options. They are manifestations of the righteousness of Christ in us, praying, giving, fasting. Now, Jesus didn't say, if you pray, if you give, or if you fast, but he said, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast. Don't do it before men. So you can see that Jesus really talks about praying, giving, and fasting as things that are understood in our life as manifestations, regular manifestations of our righteousness. Now, we think of uh, praying as part of our Christian discipline. We think of giving as part of... But how many of you think of fasting as a non-option manifestation of your righteousness in Christ? Not only that, but think about it like this. God expects us to fast because He plans to reward it. Let me say that again because... I'll use English this time. God expects you to fast because He plans to reward it. He doesn't want when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast, He doesn't want you to do it to be complimented by people. That, by the way, is not to say that you're supposed to fast in secret. Nobody's supposed to know, and if someone finds out you're fasting, you lose your reward. That's kind of ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? So Jesus says your object in fasting is not for people to think that you're spiritual, but you're fasting unto the Lord. You're displaying the righteousness of God through your fasting. And he says, when you do it, I want to reward you. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now we're all familiar with 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, notice the big I-F, if. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. So, there can be no uh, doubt whatsoever that God desires to forgive the sins of His people 
and to heal our lands. Our land happens to be clear water and surrounding towns and communities. That's our land. That's our jurisdiction, our area of operation. And God desires to heal our city, to heal our land. And He also desires that we are in a position where He can forgive our sins. Not only ours, but the people of the land. For we are ambassadors of Christ in this land. And God wants to bring healing. But before God can bring healing to our land, the scripture says three things need to happen. Humbling, seeking, and turning. Everyone say humbling, Humbling. seeking, Seeking. turning. (laughs) Fasting empowers humbling, seeking, and turning by redirecting our dependence on natural food into desire for greater closeness with God. So we could say that fasting repositions our desire over our dependence. In its simple form, that's really what fasting is. It's reordering what is often our out-of-balance and upside-down life. Usually, We are dependent on eating and on the appetites of the flesh. But having closeness with God is an option. And this fasting helps to turn that around and put us in right position so that our desire for God supersedes our dependence upon the flesh. That's what fasting is. It puts desire over dependence. How many of you, and ask yourself this morning and be honest about it, How many of you, your dependence rules your desire rather than your desire rules your dependence? How many of you have desire for God and begin to pursue it but are turned away from it by the dictates and demands of the flesh? Whatever they may be, and of course with regard to fasting, it manifests and quantifies in our desire for food. So fasting is simply curbing the appetite of the flesh in order to increase our appetite for the things of God. In its simplest form, just get a hold of that. Praise the Lord. An example of that is found in Daniel in the Old Testament, fasted twice and had these tremendous results. In Daniel's first fast, in chapter 9 of Daniel, he prays with repentance for Israel's sins after he discovers in the Scriptures that 70 years of captivity prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah are about to come to an end. Now most of us come across something in the Word and we see where God has pronounced that He's going to do something. And so we think all I need to do is just believe it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's like, a, that's like bumper sticker theology, isn't it? I've seen that on the back of cars. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But that's not all there is to it. Daniel saw in the word that after 70 years, God would restore the exiles. But instead of just celebrating, saying, oh good, God's going to do it, he gets on his face and fasts and repents and pours his heart out, interceding for Israel for all the sins that put them into exile in the first place. And he calls out upon God that the Lord would fulfill the word that he had spoken. Have you ever thought that the words that God speaks concerning your life need to be taken hold of with prayer and fasting and brought into fulfillment and not just said, praise God, I believe it. 
Now, I thought I'd get at least as much clapping and celebrating and carrying on as I did when I said we could do without some technology. <laughs> At the end of Daniel's fast, Gabriel, the, the angel of God, visits him and gives him a tremendous vision and speaks to him, not only of the returning of the exiles, but in the last days, the coming of Messiah and, and uh, gives him a great end time vision. So Daniel's drawing close to the Lord and the Lord's not only answering him, using him to facilitate the return of the Jews as he had promised, but he's showing them things to come. In, in Daniel's second fast, in the next chapter, chapter 10, he fasts for 21 days. And he has received a vision from God. He completely doesn't understand it. He knows God's shown him something. And so he goes on a fast and he begins to pray. 21 days later, at the end of his fast, the angel of God comes to him and appears before him and says, Daniel, on the first day you begin to fast, I was ordered from heaven to come and reveal the vision to you. But for 21 days while you fasted, I have been fighting with the demonic principality of Persia. Daniel was an executive in the government of Persia. And he said, while you were fasting, I was fighting my way through the spirit realm to get to you with the answer. I had the answer 21 days ago, but it took until now for me to bring that answer to you. Somebody see where we're going with this. Hallelujah. How many answers from God? How many breakthroughs, how many deliverances have not reached us because we don't fast or we quit too soon? In many areas, we receive partial blessings without complete victories because our faith needs to be applied through fasting. Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast, when you fast. The disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't cast the devil out of the seizure-ridden boy whose father had brought them while Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the disciples tried to cast the spirit out. The disciples had been in the business of casting out spirits. They had been having great success. They had been going from village to village healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, casting out devils. Here the man brings this boy who has been tormented by the Spirit, and they can't cast the Spirit out of him. He won't go. And so Jesus comes down, and he casts the Spirit out, and the disciples go to him privately and said, how come we couldn't cast the Spirit out? How many of you remember what Jesus' answer was? Found in Matthew 17 and in Mark chapter 9. Both give the account of that story. And Jesus answered and said, it is because of your little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. And we stop there, and we see all I need is faith. It just takes faith for nothing to be impossible. And yet in Mark's account, he said Jesus went on to say, however... This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. 
Faith must manifest itself through seeking God in prayer and fasting. Not all kinds of obstacles. Jesus said this kind. This kind of obstacle requires your believing to be manifest through seeking God with prayer and fasting. Sometimes the answers from God that we seek remain beyond reach, waiting for faith through fasting to hit critical mass and vault over the walls of impossibility. Hallelujah. I think there are many answers you've been seeking in your life that are just outside of reach, behind those walls of impossibility, waiting for you to begin to fast and pray, to put the flesh back underneath the desires of the Spirit. Begin to reorder your life and seek after God. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Fasting is a way of reprioritizing yourself. Making, as I said, the demands of your body subservient to the hunger of your spiritual man. How many of you remember the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 where he greets her at the well? The disciples have left him and they've gone into the city of Samaria to get food. Nobody has eaten. Jesus has got to be hungry. It's lunchtime. It's noontime. They come back after Jesus has had a conversation with a woman, leaving the woman running into the city to go find a man. Hallelujah. He, she says to the people in the city, Come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. So she's away. Telling the people in the city about Jesus, the disciples come to them. They got sacks of Burger King, might have some chicken. And they've come to Jesus and they said, Here, Master, we've got something to eat. Take some food. How many of you remember that Jesus said, I have food to eat that you don't understand? My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to complete the tasks that He has given to me. Are we completing the task that He has given to us? Are we doing the will of Him who sent me? Or are we just eating and expecting God to fulfill everything that He has spoken? Jesus said, you don't understand the food that I have been eating. It has satisfied me. In fact, I'm not interested in having Burger King right now. I have been satisfied and I am getting full by doing the will of Him who sent me. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Paul writes again in a very familiar scripture to us in Romans chapter 12. And uh, he says, therefore... I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God what is good, what is well-pleasing, and what is perfect. Do you, notice the, do you notice the deliberate pattern? Present your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. That will lead then to the renewing of your mind, which will lead to you knowing the will of God and be able to prove it because you start fulfilling God's will. 
See that progression? Did you know that God has plans for your life? Plans for your family? Plans for your ministry? Plans for your job? Plans for everything that the Lord has put before you. Don't you want to know what those plans are? So that you can apprehend them? Present your body a living sacrifice. Let your mind then be renewed that you might know and prove what the will of God is. Fasting is a holy and healthy way for you to make your body a sacrifice to God so that your mind can be renewed and that then you can know that perfect will of God. If the way you've been going about it, which is not bad, we don't have to always fast, but if the way that you've been going about it has not produced for you a rich, robust, full vision of what God has for your life, you're laying hold of it, pursuing it, seeing the fulfillment, and prayers being answered, then maybe you and I ought to think about Amen. fasting and prayer. If you're anything like me, that's the can you always kick down the road. I do more feasting than fasting. And uh, I don't particularly enjoy fasting because from a physical or natural man's point of view, I just simply think of it as going without eating. And my body doesn't like going without eating. But when I see what it means spiritually, when I see that it's pouring out my heart, getting adjusted, getting realigned, repenting, coming into a higher level of confidence with God, receiving answers from the Lord, my goodness, who wouldn't want that? Somebody say amen if you understand what I'm saying. Hallelujah. Fasting clears plaque from your spiritual arteries. It trims the excess weight of guilt from your soul. Frees your sluggish mind from the toxins of fear. It sharpens spiritual receptivity and it restores boldness to your life. Who wouldn't want that? Hallelujah. Oftentimes we are struggling in prayer and the thing we're struggling with is a sluggish soul. A soul weighted down with those burdens, with those toxins, filled with doubts, filled with apprehension. Fasting can clear all that away, get you to the place of leanness and clarity. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, the Lord is worthy to be praised. Now, there are three things in the Word of God that fasting targets. When we fast, there are three reasons or three targets. And we can overlap them or there could just be one, but we're going to take a look at them this morning. Fasting targets closeness. Closeness with God. Fasting targets deliverance. Receiving deliverance from opposition, from satanic habits and patterns. And fasting produces success. When God has said something, are we seeing success in what we are pursuing? Is what God has said, are the objectives He's laid before us being successfully apprehended? If any of these things are lacking, perhaps we should target them with fasting. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me give you a few examples. First, let's take a look at fasting for closeness. Fasting for closeness involves repentance, getting free, getting unentangled, 
being able to finally break free of that entanglement in our soul that is, that is creating problems in our life with God. True repentance is turning away from the things that keep us bound, limited in darkness, and coming free into the light. So repentance, drawing closer to God. And closeness also involves getting answers. Getting, it's not God's will that most of the time in our life we should go months and years with important questions in our life needing to be answered. God wants to answer. Call unto me, I will answer you says the Lord. So closeness. Let me give you a few examples of people who got close to God by fasting. You may be surprised at how many of these familiar stories center around fasting. In fact, I believe it's the ingredient that in all of these stories that we read, these great testimonies, we seem to forget or overlook that fasting was involved in all of them. In Exodus 34, on a 40-day fast, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. Also in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah, a Jewish woman, is barren but greatly loved by her husband. His other wife torments her day and night because she's barren and makes fun of her. She's grieved, and the Bible says that she continued to go to the house of God and in her grief pour out her heart without eating, fasting. Until one day she received a breakthrough, and the Lord gave her a son whom she had promised, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. His name is Samuel. He becomes the greatest prophet in all of Israel, leads them out of darkness into the light. Hallelujah. How many Samuels is God waiting to give you to break the curse of barrenness, to bring fruit into your life? Amen. Nehemiah, in the first chapter of Nehemiah, is again part of the exiles during that 70 years of being taken to Babylon and then becoming a part of the Medo-Persian Empire, the Jews have been extracted from Judea out of Jerusalem and they're living as exiles in punishment for their decades of sin, their centuries of sin. And during that 70 years, Nehemiah receives a report towards the end of the 70 years that the people back in Jerusalem are in complete brokenness and disarray. The ungodly are running things. The city's walls are destroyed and burnt, and the place is in a complete shambles. The place that was filled with the presence and glory of God is in a state of ruin. And he becomes grieved. He also knows about that prophecy. Seventy years and I will return you. And so Nehemiah, the Bible says... Fasts, and you can read in chapter 1 of Nehemiah his prayer as he's fasting. He's pouring himself out and repenting. And I'm sure that Nehemiah has not personally committed all the sins that he's repenting for. He's interceding for the people. Father, forgive us. And he enumerates all of the things that they have done that brought them to this place. And he asks God for favor. He happens to be the cupbearer to the emperor of the Medo-Persian Empire known as Artaxerxes. 
and he asks God for favor, and he goes to Artaxerxes, who asks him, how come you're, how come you're sad? And you probably know the story. He tells him, my people back in Jerusalem, tells him of the condition. And the king says, you know what? I'm going to write a letter, and I'm going to decree that all the materials you need to rebuild that city, to rebuild its walls, to bring the people together, I'm authorizing you to go from cupbearer to the governor, hallelujah, and the rebuilder and the commander and the superintendent of the project to restore and to begin the restoration of Jerusalem. Now go, here's your edict, hallelujah. Fasting and prayer produces results. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, we learn in those first nine verses that Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted the Jews, was zealous, but found that he was the enemy of the gospel of Christ, was fighting against God the whole time, encounters the Lord on the road to Damascus. Knocked from his horse, made blind, they take him into the city of Damascus, where three days he does what? He is fasting trying to sort it out, repenting, crying out to God. And after three days, Saul of Tarsus exchanges his error and his blindness for a relationship with Jesus Christ. It didn't just happen. It wasn't just because God knocked him to the ground. He got up and pursued with fasting and prayer the experience of being encountered by the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Further in the book of Acts in chapter 10, verse 30, we learn of the very first Gentile to become converted to Christ and receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Speaking in other tongues, not only he, but his entire house, his name is, Centur his name is uh, um, Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion, not even a Jew. And he is fasting and while he's fasting, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Go and search for the man named Peter. He doesn't know Peter. The angel says, Go find the man named Peter. You'll find him in the town of Joppa. He's at so-and-so, Simon the Tanner's house. And so he sends a contingent of messengers. They go. They ask for Peter. They bring him back. Peter enters the house. And while speaking to him, and Cornelius is saying, I was fasting several days ago. An angel came to me, and Peter begins to speak to him. And as Peter speaks to him, the Holy Ghost falls. And Peter must have thought, I'm in trouble. I'm in the house of a Gentile, and he's speaking in tongues. They've all gotten filled with the Holy Ghost. How am I going to explain this? God is willing to do the inexplicable. God is willing to do things that you can't even imagine. It wasn't Peter, but it was Cornelius, the Roman centurion who was fasting. And God brought about that great outpouring. Somebody say praise the Lord. The next thing that, that fasting addresses is deliverance. We need deliverance from satanic patterns. How many of you have put up with things in your life? Patterns that have gone on. You know they shouldn't be there. They're completely contrary to what the Word of God. You've got strife in your house, strife in your marriage, sickness in your body. The devil is on your heels. He's like a terrier latched onto your behind. 
Everywhere you go, man, what's that terrier doing stuck on your backside? He's just hanging on. God has called you to be free. He's called you to walk in victory. And it's not happening. Partial victory. Partial freedom. When Jesus laid hands on the blind man and he was partially healed, he didn't leave him partially healed. He said, oh, I see men, but like trees walking. Jesus said, come back. You need a second touch. Are you going without your second touch? God wants to fully open those eyes. Somebody say amen. We need deliverance from patterns of destruction and oppression. A couple of examples. One of the first, one of the great ones out of the Old Testament is found in the book of Esther, where Queen Esther, the Jewish wife of the emperor of the Medo-Persian Empire, Xerxes, learns that a terrible plot to annihilate all of the Jews who have been assimilated into his empire. Every Jew on the face of the earth is part of the empire of the Medo-Persians who have conquered them and all the other nations of the world. And Xerxes is the emperor, and she finds herself as one of his wives in his harem. And she learns that some jealous governmental official has plotted a plot to wipe out and kill. It would have been the end of Israel. There would have been no Jewish people. There would have been no Messiah. And when she learns of the plot, the Bible says, she orders all of the Jews to fast. And she said, me and my handmaids, we will fast three days. She calls a three-day fast. And at the end of that third-day fast, she goes before her husband. And the net result is not only is the order to annihilate them rescinded, but their enemies that have plotted against them are all hung and executed. And the emperor gives a proclamation that the Jews are a now special protected people. Hallelujah. And he, instead of annihilating them, he elevates them. How many of you would like to be elevated instead of beat up? Somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I mean, how bad do you want it? Sometimes I'm up here and I feel like the prophet who told the king who was facing an army about to, about to defeat them and, and make them extinct. And the prophet says, here, take these arrows. These arrows represent the Lord's victory over your enemies. Take these arrows and strike the ground. Kind of the Old Testament equivalent of saying, here's the word of God. Shout amen if you believe it. Shout glory if you want it. Take these arrows and hit the ground. And so the king says, uh, all right. And in the spirit of compliance, he kind of hits the ground three times and stops. And the prophet becomes angry. And he says, what are you doing? Didn't I just tell you that those arrows are your victory over the enemy? Why didn't you pound the ground ten times? And I, the Lord would have given you ten battle victories over your enemies till they were all wiped out. But now you're going to win three battles and then you're going to lose the war. So how badly do you want? Can we stir ourselves to shout amen? When we hear the word of God put out before us, can we go for it and lay hold of it and say, my God, that's the word that I need. And go after it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.
After Esther, I like the story of Jehoshaphat and the whole nation of Judah. That's that great story where the, uh, the, the um, Midians, or excuse me, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the people of Mount Seir confederate together to create probably one of the largest armies ever assembled in, in history up to that point, and they invade Judah. And Judah is like a little village somewhere in Afghanistan being invaded by the Third Special Forces or SEAL Team 6 or something like that. I mean, there's just absolutely no way they can survive. They're about to be wiped out. And so Jehoshaphat, the Bible says, proclaims a fast. And they cry out to the Lord. Everybody must fast. The Bible says all of Israel fasted. Women, children, men, everybody fasted. And at the end of the fast, God spoke through the prophet and said, This battle's not yours. Things have just changed. You fasted, you cried out to me, it's now my fight. I'm in this. Fasting brought God into the fight. Come on somebody, hallelujah. Fasting and seeking God brought God into it, hallelujah. If you're in this thing alone, you need God in your fight. You need God in your battle. Do like Jehoshaphat did. Cry out to God with fasting and prayer. Get God into this battle and let the Lord say the battle's not yours, but it's mine. Jehoshaphat said, oh, hallelujah. Get the praise team. And he sent the praise team out against this huge swarm. And as they went out singing, praise the Lord, His mercy endures forever and ever. The little band of singers praising God, marching out against the Moabites, Ammonites, and the army of Mount Seir. I don't know what happened. But God sent something. The Bible calls it an ambush. When God ambushes you, you're bushed. Because they went crazy. The whole army got up and started fighting itself until they had all killed one another. By the time the praise team got there, there was nothing but dead enemies and a whole lot of gold and food and clothing and weapons. The Bible says... Three days. It took them just to pick it up and carry it home. Hallelujah. How many of you have been sick for three days? Wouldn't you like the kind of blessing, the kind of victory in your life, glory to God, where it takes three days just to, just to, just to cash the checks? I'm sorry, I don't mean to make it about money, but you get what I'm talking about. God wants to heal your land. God wants to bless. He wants to provide. He wants to give the increase. I love the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel's in the lion's den because once again, you know, the devil's a plotter. He, he creates a plot. And uh, Darius, again, one of the Medo-Persian kings, this is during the exile. So many of these stories take place during the Medo-Persian, Babylonian Medo-Persian uh, occupation of the Jews. Actually, they had been assimilated into their empire. It's amazing that those people, hallelujah, fasted and prayed so many times and God met them every time. So Daniel, again, has favor in the court of Darius, the Medo-Persian emperor, but a nasty plot is, is hatched that causes Daniel, by the king's own command, to be thrown 
into the lion's den because someone had gone to the king and said, King, I think you're so special, you're so wonderful. I think you should put an order out that nobody could call on any god except you, Darius, for 30 days. And if they do, throw them in the lion's den. The king said, oh, I like that. I like that, you know. It doesn't take a whole lot. Men, unsaved people have got pride. It's easy to, you know, get them to cooperate with the devil. And so the, he said, oh, I like that. Put, let it be written. And he writes the order. Well, Daniel's not going to shut up calling out to the Lord. And they hear him in his house praying during the 30 days. And they drag the accusation before Darius, who loves Daniel. And Darius is like, oh, no, I've got to put him in the lion's den. So he gets Daniel. He puts him down into the pit where the hungry lions are. And as he lowers him into the pit, Darius says, Oh, Daniel, I sure hope your God is able to deliver you. Daniel says, Oh, don't worry about it. My God can deliver me. And the Bible says that Darius went home. And he got in his house. He sent the cooks home. Sent the musicians that played that music that helped him go to sleep. Sent them home. Gave them all the day off. And the Bible says he spent that day and the entire night in fasting and seeking God. This Medo-Persian emperor is fasting for God to deliver his own servant. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's fasting and God made the lions fast. Those lions are down there that night, hungry. I could just see those lions sitting there, looking at Daniel, licking their lips. I'm starving. How about you? Oh, I'm starving too. That looks like food over there. Yes, it does. I don't know. I, I just can't seem, to, can't seem to go at it. And so in the morning, Darius comes to the edge of the pit. He says, Daniel, are you still there? Was your God able to deliver you? Daniel yells up, Oh, king, reign forever. My God delivered me from the mouth of the lions. Darius said, Bring those guys that plotted against him. Get Daniel out of there. Throw them in the pit. And then after he threw them in the pit, the Bible says that Darius wrote a proclamation. Every nation and kindred and tongue on the face of the earth under my empire must acknowledge and tremble before the name of Daniel's God, for he alone is the living and true God. How about that? Glory to God. God can turn a government. God can turn the heart of a king. The king commanded the entire empire to acknowledge that Jehovah God, he is God. Hallelujah. I love that, don't you? Yes. Jonah, God sends him to warn the city of Nineveh, 120,000 people in that city. Their wickedness is unprecedented. And he goes and cries through the streets of Nineveh. God is going to annihilate this city for your sins have risen to his nostrils and he is going to wipe you out. The Bible says that the king of Nineveh commanded his court, his family, his people, and every citizen and every animal, all your dogs, cats, cows, pets, 
everybody's going to fast. And they fasted 40 days. They, and the Bible says they didn't even drink a lick of water. He wouldn't, allow, he wouldn't even let the cows have water. He wouldn't let the horses have water. Not a single creature ate or drank anything for 40 days. And the Bible says God saw. Amen. God saw that they had repented. And the Lord said, I've changed my mind concerning Nineveh. I've changed my mind. I've given you a couple of examples of unsaved people fasting before God and bringing tremendous answers. Finally, the third focus point of fasting is success. Taking territorial assignments. Achieving God's goals in ministry. The visions, the goals, the calling, the things that God has set before us. We should be seizing them. We should be occupying. We should be expanding. We should be seeing the fulfillment. We need success. God has called us to succeed in the things that He has put before us. My first example is Jesus. We read in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus, after being baptized in the river Jordan by John, comes up out of the river and the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon him. John can see it happening. And the Bible says immediately as the Holy Spirit comes upon him and God speaks from heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible says in Luke 4 and verse 1, And the Spirit led him out into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. During those 40 days and 40 nights, our Savior, our Lord, who is the eternal I Am, the Word made flesh, the perfect and mighty God, Colossians says that He is the fullness of the Godhead tabernacling in human flesh. Yet He fasts to gain success in the next three and a half years that are about to stretch out before Him. He knows His mission. He knows His identity. If ever someone knew who they were, knew they were righteous, knew their position, if ever anybody knew that they were where they were supposed to do, fulfilling their calling, it was Jesus. Yet that was not enough. He spends 40 days in fasting and prayer. And the Bible says, at the end of the fast, Satan comes to him and tempts him three times with three temptations that represent the three great bondages that have captivated the fallen race of Adam. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Make some bread out of that rock. It is written, Jesus said. Well then, bow down and worship me, and I will give you the glory of the nations of the earth. Jesus said, it is written. Takes him up on the pinnacle of the temple, tempting his spiritual pride. Well, throw yourself down. Let the angels. He tries to get Jesus, probably, the Bible says at the end of his fast, probably on the 39th day. If you go on 39 days fasting, wouldn't you think, well, a few hours, cutting it short, going, getting a pastrami sandwich. I mean, that'd be okay. I've really fasted 39 days. The, the devil tries to get him. To cave in at the last moment. Come on, just, just make some bread. Jesus resists the devil. Not for himself only, but 
in intercession for you and I. So that he could have power to break all three of those satanic holds over our life. And he would not give in. You know the Bible doesn't say that Jesus said, Now I rebuke you devil, get out of here. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says Satan gave up and walked off. That's how you rebuke the devil. When you stand in righteousness, the devil cannot stand in your presence. When you obey, when you fulfill what God has given you, you don't have to rebuke the devil. He will walk off. The Bible says he departed from Jesus for a season. Hallelujah. Man, that is authority over the power of the enemy. Can you say amen? amen. The last example I want to give you is of the Antioch elders in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. The Bible says that the teachers and prophets were praying and fasting, that God would show them and fulfill the ministry that He had for them. The Bible says the Holy Ghost spake, I'm sure through one of the prophets, and said, separate out Paul and Barnabas to send them on the mission I've called them to. Paul knew he was called. He knew what his mission was, but they were fasting and praying so that the Holy Ghost could send them, rather than him. You know, the Bible says some were cold, some were sent, some just grabbed a mic and went. You can know that you're called, you can know that you're sent, but you just grab a mic and, and go run off, and you're not going to go in the power. The Bible says that after the Lord spoke and said, Now separate me, Paul and Barnabas, they fasted even more, until they knew they had been sent by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the rest is history. Three tremendous world tours taking the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise Faith Christian Church is going on a fast. We are going to enter 2018 with a 21-day fast. Hallelujah. Now, before you faint away, just wait and hear me out. Hallelujah. God wants this fast to be successful. And so we are going to give you every opportunity to do this in a way that works for you and will be successful for you. But our church is going on a 21-day fast, and we are going to recapture our closeness with God. We are going to get closer to God than we've ever been before. Don't some of you right now feel like, I want that closeness. It's been eluding me. I want to get close. I want to see answers flowing. We are going to get delivered from things we've been wrestling with. To see them broken. To see it over with. We are going after success in our assignments that God has given us. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I, um, I went and I bought everybody a little gift this morning. It's sitting on the table out in the lobby before you go. I bought Jensen Franklin's book, Fasting. It's probably one of, the, one of the best books on fasting. Matter of fact, the title's Fasting, Opening the Door to a Deeper, More Intimate, More Powerful Relationship with God. It's free. It's yours. 
I'm paying for it because I want you to have this. They're out on the table. Before you leave, I want everybody who considers himself part of this church, who's going to be here in January, who's going to be a part of this, to get this book. I want Helen and Terry to get two. You each have your own one. You don't need to share a book. Have yours because you're going to mark it up. You're going to be yellow highlighting. You're going to be writing things. God's going to talk to you. Hallelujah. Over the next few weeks, as we prepare heading towards January 1st, I want you to plan out your fasting schedule for these 21 days of fasting and prayer. I'm going to create a fasting calendar. Um, I haven't decided exactly how I'm going to do it. I either will make a physical one, hopefully we'll put it up on the website, where we can plot everybody's fast. We can know who's fasting, what days, and what kind of fasting is going on. We're going to organize and order this thing so that we can have one accord, harmony, and unity. Can you say amen? amen. Now, what I need you to do over the next uh, several days, next few weeks, three weeks or so, before we get to the end of the year, is I need you to pick the frequency of your fast during the 21 days, and I need you to select the type of your fast. And you can mix these up however you would like to mix them up. There is what we would call a full fast. That's 21 days with just water or just water and juices. That's hardcore. Hallelujah. But some of you may want to do that, may feel led to do that. Others, you could choose to fast certain days of each week. You might say, you know what, we've talked about it, and, and I'm going to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Or I'm going to fast Saturday and Sunday. Or I'm going to, you know, so, so I want you to pray. I want you to think about this. I want you to start reading this book right away. Let it start getting into your spirit. Because once you start getting into this, you might say, well, I think rather than one day a week, I think, I'll, think I need to go three days a week. So whatever it is, I want you to take your time and think about it and be prepared because I want to register everybody in this schedule of fasting. Then number two, you need to pick the type of your fast. Like I said, full fast is water only or water and juices. Then there's what's called the Daniel fast. Many of you have heard of the Daniel fast. The 21-day fasting that he did were no meats, no sweets, no bread. He just had vegetables. Now, I wouldn't recommend if you're going to fast, just say, I could eat a 20-pound salad once a day. That would probably just about do it for me. I mean, you just, if, the, if it doesn't mean anything to you, it's not going to mean anything to God. You know, so... You don't want to go overboard and deliberately afflict yourself. This isn't punishment. <clears throat> you want to select a fast that you can do. The whole idea is to bring the dictates, dependency of the flesh, underneath the desire of the spirit. So something you can succeed at is what I recommend. Or a partial fast. Partial fasts were oftentimes the way people fast in the Bible from sunup to sundown. So after sundown, you just go out to the steakhouse, get your 20-ounce porterhouse, <coughs> three baked potatoes, five coffees, and a giant molten lava cake. And then start again in the morning if you survive through the night. So you basically get the idea. You pick the fast. And, you know, you might, listen, be creative. You might say, you know what, the first week I'm going to do a full fast. The second week I'm going to go to a partial fast. You can mix these up. 
Do what you feel led to do that you can do. And in the next week or two, I'll be getting with you to find out what God is speaking to you. And we're going to plot this thing out. Somebody say amen. amen. During this 21 days, I'm going to schedule special times. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to be uh, um, surveying all of you to find out what times would you have. I know everyone's busy, but this is a special time. We are setting ourselves up for victory in 2018. We're not going to give the devil a chance to uh, run his deal on us. We're going to go for God. Hallelujah. At one minute past midnight, praise the Lord. At the Trimble's house, the fasting begins. Praise the Lord. So... I'm going to uh, get with you and find out what are the best times for you that we can plan to gather here for special times of prayer. Perhaps in the morning before you go to work, some of you can make it here. We'll make it early. We'll gather and have some times of prayer, maybe in someone's home. But we are going to come together. We're not going to leave you isolated where you're just out by yourself and the enemy's just you know, fighting and tempting you, but we're going to come together and we are going to produce a slate of objectives. And on the 31st, Sunday the 31st of December, I'm going to bring a message to this church that is going to detail and lay out our objective in this fast. I'm going to be sharing with you a vision of Clearwater and downtown Clearwater where we are at, what the Lord has shown me about where we're at, and what He wants to do with us in this city. That we're going to have some clear objectives, including the objectives in your family and your personal life. And we're going to pray together, and we are going to get a hold of God and let Him get a hold of us. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, I see the Lord's with us. It's a miracle. It's 28 after 11, and I'm... Finished, I just want to share one other thing with you before we pray. Like I said, and I'm going to be transparent and open with you, in the, in the past years, I've been much more of a feaster than a faster. But I started thinking back to the founding of our ministry, the early years, and I realized that God did tremendous, powerful things in founding our ministry. He was working miraculously with us in tremendous ways. And every great founding work of God that we saw in the early years of our lives and of our ministry was precipitated by a period of fasting. I remember in 1975 in the summer, I went on a six-day fast and waited on the Lord having no idea what was about to happen. And in August, I was caught up in the Spirit. Had a tremendous vision where the Lord showed me my whole life and ministry laid out. And He called me and sent me to leave my home, go 1,500 miles away, and uh, found this church that became our first church that we founded in, in Connecticut. And the Lord supernaturally gave details, times, and places to go. And He did every single one of them and more. And then I remember in the beginning of 1977, the elders of our young little fledgling church and myself, we called a 21-day fast. We went on a fast for 21 days to establish what God had called for our church to achieve. In the city of New Haven, which was for the most part a very 
ungodly and, and certainly not a, a place where you had churches all over the place that, that were full of believers. In the center of the city is the, one of the greatest institutions of secularism in the world, Yale University. And so we're seeking God and we go on a 21-day fast. I have to confess. I don't want you to think of me more spiritually than you should. I fasted on Nestle's Quick for 21 days. Um, and it is a miracle that I didn't die. I will say that. Nestle, one tumbler of Nestle's Quick a day for 21 days. You either are young or you're under special grace. So <laughs> right after that 21-day fast... God broke open Yale University. And for five years, we had the campus of Yale. We had students. We had professors. We had favor. And the Lord moved in a tremendous way. Just opened magnificent doors. And so I'm looking back at that, and I'm looking at where we're at today, and I know that it's going to take fasting and prayer for us to bring home what God has for us. Can you feel it in your heart this morning? Can you feel it? Hallelujah. Amen. I want you to stand with me. As you go out, praise the Lord this morning. Stop by the table. Uh, pick up your book by Jensen Franklin on fasting. Um, one of the ladies is going to be watching the table and we want to get your name. We want the name of everyone who gets a book because I just want to know who got one and who hasn't gotten one so that we can make sure that everybody gets one of these. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you join me right now? We're just going to make the altar call right where we're at this morning. And let's come together. And as you have just heard this message and this, this assignment, Let's open our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to take this and just order our lives and speak to us.